All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever episode of Off the Track with the Mock Sports. Mitchell Cashmore with Nick Highland here. Mate, we're very keen for the day, aren't we? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. We've got a very good apprentice jockey on board um, for an interview here, Dylan Gibbons. Um, very exciting. Yes, as Nick said, joined by a special guest. He's jockey quickly becoming the talk of the town in the world of New South Wales racing. He rode his first winner at Coffs Harbour just over two years ago on Ocean Ruler. Since then, he has gone on to ride over 200 winners, including a Group 3 Spring Stakes victory. He is still an apprentice by definition, but he's already riding far beyond his years. Of course, we're talking about Dylan Gibbons. How are you, mate? Very well. Even better after that introduction, so thanks for that. <laughs> That's good, mate. That's good. Uh, I've got a couple of questions for you. We'll, we'll start spitting them out. Um, so you've obviously come from a racing family. Um, how early in your life did you decide you wanted to follow in your father's footsteps? It's pretty funny. I've had a, a few people ask me that question, and as silly as it sounds, it, it was never like I made a decision that just how obsessed I was with racing from day dot. I don't think there was ever a picture of me from the moment I was born. I wasn't playing with you know racehorse toys and setting things up like races. So growing up, I just always assumed I was going to be a jockey, and it was sort of that well known. Everybody around me just assumed I was too, and probably wasn't until I, I shot up a bit in height that people started to question it, but by that point I was a bit older and, and was sort of able to put that in the back burner and just do what I needed to do. But, yeah, there was never really a doubt in my mind I was going to be anything else. I, no other job in the world interested me like racing, and, yeah, I just had a one-track mind from day one. Yeah, fair enough. And what's it like to race against your dad? Obviously, um, would there be plenty of banter thrown around between the two of you? Yeah, we've we've had <laughs> we've had a couple of Cornellas, which is um, it's it's a bit awkward if you if you're the winner because you, you sort of don't know what to say. But when you run second, you hurl all the abuse you want. <laughs> so it's um, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty good day. Like it's you know, not many people say they get can do their profession with with family. So it, it's pretty cool to do it. And and you know, it's, at least when you go on head and head. It's, as much as I want to beat him, at least if, if he beats me or vice versa, you can pop it a bit easy because it, it stayed in the family. So, yeah, you do get bragging rights and it hurts a bit, but look, at least at least it stays in the family at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%, especially because I'm pretty sure looking through the stats, correct me if I'm wrong, you've already won up the old man because you won that group three. I don't know if your dad ever mm-hmm. did win the group. Do you let him know about that? Oh, yeah, I let him know that straight away. He was... Um, <laughs> He's only got a listed race to his name, so I was um, I, I quickly remind him about that every chance I get. So yeah, I've got one up on him there. Oh, fair enough. So talking about that Group Three victory, just uh, talk us through that. We just had Hunter Day on the weekend, just passed. It must be great, obviously being based at Newcastle to be able to ride a Metropolitan card up there on a Saturday. So just talk us through that day last year when. The big moment happened. You're only a year into your racing career and you've won a Group 3 race. Yeah, it was pretty funny the way it came about. I was having a bit of bit of luck for Matt Smith at the time and he's a great guy to deal with. And I used to make sort of long trips down to Goulburn for Matt and just so happened to be that uh, Festival Dancer was one of the horses I rode. And the first time I rode her, I actually run third or fourth on her in a Goulburn Maiden. So she was um, never much chopped from day 12, 13 goes to break a maiden and fortunately enough I went down there one day and won on her and I thought you know she's done her job she's won a race see where she can go and then she sort of quickly won again straight away her next start which I didn't ride her and then 
the start after that, I, I went down to Goulburn again and, and rode, and she was just a completely different horse. And at that time, I wasn't really riding in the metropolitan area. So when we found out she was going to a group race, we thought, oh, that's all right, you know, best of luck to them, see how they go. And just so happened, he, he offered us the ride, Matt, and at first we actually knocked it back. But once it got a bit closer, I think Chris had a couple of horses there that he wanted to claim off and was happy to let us have a little crack in town. And, and thankfully enough, when we rang Matt back up and said, oh, listen, we're, we're going now. Have you done anything? He said, no. Nah. And you know, sort of the rest is history. I was able to get back on her. You know, things just couldn't have worked out better for us that day. She was just a mare in fine form. We are able to bounce, roll to the top, and we never looked like going backwards from there. And you know, thankfully, she gave my first group race. Yeah, huge. Many more to come, I'm sure. Was it? Did it feel better knowing that it was at your home track in front of friends and family that were there? Uh, I. It was cool to have it at the home track. But I, I think the biggest thing was, you know, just seeing how how excited my family got. You know, I had my had my grandparents on and my partner on course, and to see the excitement on my grandparents' face when I got back. You know, they're they're little things that you, you hear people talk about all the time, but until you sort of witness something like that, there's there's no better feeling than that. And, and then to speak to Dad after, he's, I'll be honest, he's not the most colourful character in the world, but to see <laughs> see how much it meant to him, me winning that race. You know, I went to the races with him flat out, and whether he rode four winners or no winners, the bloke's attitude would never change. So to see how colourful he got off my win, you know, it just made a special moment just that bit more special that, you know, it'll stay with me forever. Yeah, fair enough. And it- like, that was the day that you sort of announced yourself to the world of New South Wales racing. Everyone could see that there was talent in you, especially considering you're only a year in, you're still an apprentice. So we'd like to actually talk about that apprenticeship dynamic. We, we're just curious, other than working on your track riding abilities, what else does a jockey apprenticeship entail? So what, what does a day-to-day look like? What else goes into the education? And how does a person go about starting a jockey apprenticeship? Um, yeah, so the sort of the way it's it's quite easy to get into it. You, you just you, the easiest way to go about it is you normally just start off working for for a trainer and and you sort of just let them know from the start that you're interested in riding and you know that's that's the best thing about the way New South Wales set up. You've got that many good trainers out in the bush areas who are just happy to let anyone have a go. That it doesn't matter where you go, you know you. As long as you let them know you're interested, there's, there's going to be someone out there who gives you a go. So that's that's probably, if you don't know anyone and you want to get into it, the best way to do it is to just find your local country track and just speak to, you know, Corey Brown's taking over the apprenticeship and you'll be able to get in touch with anyone. And from there, you know, they'll, they'll know plenty of trainers who are happy to take you on. And from there, you just pretty much start working the stables and it's, it's just pretty much a one way you go about it, you sort of start from the ground up, you just work as a stable hand and eventually you, you jump on a couple of ponies and then you go to the racehorses and from there you just work on your craft. You do, you know, you ride track work six days a week. So if you struggle to learn the racing game, then you're probably just not turning up and having a go. So there, there's, there's a lot of options there for people to get involved. It's, it's just a matter of picking up the phone or going to speak to someone and, you know, there's a lot of people who are happy to help you along the way. Yeah, fair enough. Um, just another one here. What's the dynamic like in the jockey room? Like, do you guys switch off in between races? Is it like a lot of banter going around or is it like the veterans giving out advice or is it just like no talk, everyone's just kind of in their own inner circles 
got their mates all set up. What's what's the vibe in there? Nah, it's it's pretty pretty good fun. It, it depends who's there at the meeting. Uh, if you get blokes like Regan Bayless, you know, you, you get chewed off all day, and he's very, <laughs> very funny. Him, he, he keeps things interesting in the room. But now nah, we're as much as we're all out there competing and wanting to beat each other. When we're in the room, you know, we're stuck in there together, so we all get along quite well and. It's, it's pretty much a mixture of everything. And, you know, you've got your older guys who have been there who are more than happy to help you. And then, you, you know, you've got young guys you can laugh and joke around with. It's, it's just sort of, you, you do your preparation leading into the race meeting. So when you're there, it's just a matter of staying relaxed, going out there and doing your job. And, you know, unless it's sort of the group ones, things things aren't really quiet unless, you know, then there's just obviously that little bit of tension pre-race. But, you know, that's, it's the grand final and, you know, I'm sure it's the same with, with football and soccer and all them other sports, you know. They're a bit casual when it comes to the big games, you know. You, you just switch on that little bit more and just take a minute pre-race. But, yeah, no, things aren't too serious in there. All the boys laugh and have a joke and we all get along quite well. Fair enough. So who who would be the best best value in there? Who Who's the funniest bloke in there or the funniest girl in there? Who's who's the best? Uh, in town, Regan Bayless, he, he's, he's hilarious. He just... Doesn't matter who you, you can find the most serious bloke in the room, and you get a laugh out of me. Yeah, that's sort of your other your other meetings. You got you know blokes like Rory Hutchings, Lee McGorry, and they're just they'll just terrorise you all day. But they're bloody hilarious if it's not you copping the back end of it. So yeah, there's there's a lot of guys there <laughs> who keep things interesting for you, and just depending on what mood you're in on the day, whether you enjoy it or not. Fair enough. Fair enough. And what do you reckon? Like, you're riding every week now with the likes of Tommy Berry, James McDonald, Hugh Bowman. Have they ever taken you aside and given you any, like, pointers to stick by? Like, if they've given you, like, if you're only going to have one point to go forward now that you're starting in the city and riding here every week, this is what you should follow? Or have they been pretty free-flowing with it all? Oh, most most of them guys, like on race day, you know, they've got the same job to do as me, but majority of the boys, if, if you go up to them and ask them a question, they'll sit down and give you the time, but they've got a lot of things to worry about. So on the day, you know, unless they've got a light day and have a chance to actually watch sort of other people bar themselves and what's going on on the day, they'll come and, you know, there's a few guys there who will go the way to help you, but, you know, 99% of them, if, if you go up and ask them a question, they'll all take their time out of the day to have a look for you. But it, it's a bit tricky for them to be, sitting there on a race day watching you, trying to help you. But a lot, you know, if they're not riding, we'll take notice for you and, and go out of the way to help you. So, no, there's a, there's a lot of support there. And all them older guys there, as much as you're out there competing, they're still happy to help you. So, no, it's a good setup. Oh, that's good to hear because we, we just weren't sure. Like, no one... Always curious about it because you always see when... Well, that's how we actually met you to get you on this podcast is you walking out of the jockey's room and... Um, we are um, wondering what goes on in there. If the yeah the big boys do they go around giving tips or does everyone just yeah? But you, you've you hit it spot on. So at least we know now. Yeah, no, no, they're all they're all very willing to help you. But like I said, you know they don't, they don't sort of get the chance to be on the front foot to help you. But I'm sure you know once I ride a bit longer too. Once you get to their position, you just you sort of don't have the chance. But once you go and ask them, you know, majority will watch the replay for you and come back and give you a rundown and majority are pretty thorough with it. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good guys in the room who are, who are happy to help you who have been there a while and been through it all. And, yeah, now there's a good bunch of guys in there. 
Oh, well, do you, do you ever get your dad calling up in like after a meet and he's seen a few of your races and he's giving you tips? Yeah, no, all the time. Dad, dad was sort of who I, I looked up to from when I started, you know, and I always tried to run off him and we always bounce ideas off each other. And, yeah, we speak after, obviously, every meeting and he'll always just question me on a couple of things and, you know, see what I reckon or I'll ask him and he tells me where he reckons. But, you know, that, that's... We've done that for a while before I was even riding, always talking about it because I was that into it. And now that I ride it, it's even easier to do it. So, yeah, Dad's always dad's always keeping a close eye on me and vice versa. I'm always watching him when I can. So, yeah, we, we bounce ideas off each other as much as we can. Fair enough. And, well, as we mentioned in the intro, you've ridden over 200 winners in your very short two-year span, which is very impressive. Um, we're pretty new to racing ourselves like we said we're only 20 we're almost the same age as you but as far as we can see we know that that doesn't come along very often so um hats off to you for that but um what out of all of them probably like we discussed the group three victory earlier but are there any others that you would probably rate as one of your favorite wins uh yeah when i um when i won the provincial qualifier at Gosford on a horse called Kinlock. That was um pretty good and that was one of one of few Cornellas I've had with Dad and Frankfield's in a in a nice big race and that one was, was pretty good too because um my partner used to work in in the racing game and that was one of her favourite horses. So when I was able to win on win on him and Cornella with Dad and, and she was there on course, that was pretty cool because me and Dad were able to have a bit of a laugh at each other after the post and then I come back and, and kept Kept the partner happy, so that was a pretty good day. Can't complain. Um, just another one. Which which horse or horses do you have the best relationship with? Is there any that really stick out? Um, there's a couple I've had a bit of luck. I've, I've won was well, three races on Festival Dance, so that's you know obviously an obvious one because I won the Group Three on a. Um, just trying to think, if there's any off the top of my head that I. I've had a lot of luck with a highly desired one, and not, not just because <laughs> I've, had, I've had a bit of luck on him. So we uh, got a good relationship there. Um, just trying to think of any others I could get off the top of my head for you without digging too far. Um, yeah, they're sort of the main ones I can think off the top of my head. There's been a few I've been fortunate enough to win a, a couple of races on, I even one of Chris's horses called Fleet Air Arm. He was able to win his sort of first three races with me on his back. And yeah, but I'd have to say, off the top of my head, Festival Dance for a highly desired are probably the two I've been able to click with well. Oh, you'll cop that. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll cop that, being uh, <laughs> a family owned, highly desired. But uh, yeah, wasn't planning on mentioning it, but I guess when it comes to horses like Festival Dance or highly desired, do you prefer relationships like that where you're able to? ride the horses all the way from country to provincial into metro, like Highly Desired and Festival Dancer both were able to rise through the grades and you were able to stick on them pretty much all the way through, up the way to midway in Group 3? Or do you prefer, like, going in blind, like, you know, you rock up on a Saturday and you've got your rides and you'll be riding many of them for the first time? What what, what do you prefer? Oh, look, there's pros and cons to both. Sometimes knowing horses are, can... You know, hamping you a bit, knowing knowing too much because you might sort of do something thinking it's going to benefit them when you probably just overthought it. And, and sometimes, you know, a lot like there's 
all riders have their certain style and sometimes I find horses who might do a bit wrong for someone I think will suit me and going in having my first sit on them, you know, I'm able to click with them and that goes the other way too. There's some horses I ride and I just don't seem to get along with and you, and you change rider and, and the result can ultimately be a lot better result. I just, it, it, it depends. It, sometimes, you know, if they're tricky horses, sometimes the less you know, the better because you just go out there and worry about your race and some horses just appreciate you're not worrying about them. So, look, I'm, I'm not fussed either way. It's always good to, to sort of know your horse a bit better because it can just help you make some decisions on your on your horse's style and it can make a decision a bit easier because it might, instead of having two decisions, you might only have one and then you just got to stick with that decision and, and try try and make the best of that scenario. Like, like for example, your family horse, Holy Desire, if you, if you get him to switch off, you don't really get him to switch back on. So knowing him true. well, on, uh, knowing him well, I'm able to, when I ride him, keep him on the bridle and know you'd rather go that bit quicker and, and have him really towing then to try and get him to settle because once he settles, he says, thank you. <laughs> and that's, that's the rest of the off. So, you know, little things like that can be the difference between winning and losing. And, you know, it sometimes goes the other way. If you don't know him, it's probably better off not knowing some things because you, you won't bring that into account. And same thing could be the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, fair enough. You're very right about high desire. <laughs> Many a time we've been there for the midways and we've seen him switched on and go all the way to the line. And then other times he's just not bothered to run and you can tell and you've said that to us post-race as well in your comments but um yeah so hopefully he'll be coming back to the races soon and you'll be back on board and hopefully a couple more wins to go before we retire him but um we asked about the horses you have the best relationships obviously uh you are apprenticed to chris lees am i correct yes yeah so he would probably be the trainer i'm assuming that you have the best relationship with but are there any others that you're starting to gain a trust with now that you're in the city you're riding quite a lot for Bjorn Baker you're starting to pick up some rides with Chris Waller what what are the sort of trainers that you're gelling with now that you're in the city oh, I've, I've had a lot of luck for um, Bjorn like you said and, and that's worked out well because my manager was his racing manager at the same time so that's just sort of been something that's been able to click and you know thankfully he was able to help weasel me in that stable and we've just been able to gel with sort of my style to I prefer to sort of roll with horses more than to get into a bit of a wrestling match and with how fit Bjorn gets his horses, that's just sort of seemed to click for us and yeah, little things like that can help but yeah, like you said, had a lot of luck for Bjorn, I was able to have a bit of luck for Chris Waller too and you know, it's just a matter of trying to make the most out of every scenario with with each trainer, you know, there's obviously some you're going to gel with better than most but you know, I, I try and try and ride to suit each trainer's training style and, and click with them all because, you know, the more, more options you got, the better. Yeah, nice. So, obviously, Spring Carnival's just finished. All the big group ones have been run. I know it's a probably tough question, but um, which one is the one that you would most like to win? Is there any that really stick out that would be the biggest honour to you? Yeah, I reckon the Cox Plate would be unreal to win. I was um, fortunate enough to go watch Winks win his third Cox Plate live and, Something about Mooney Valley, when they seem to straighten up, it feels like the grandstand just gets lifted and put straight on top of the horses. It's um, it's a, it's a different atmosphere to most racetracks in Mooney Valley, and I just reckon the Cox Plate, you know, it's a race where you've got to, got to basically get selected to, to be in. It's a weight for age group one, and, you know, there's every horse in that race you'd usually make a case for. I, I think being able to win a race like that, you know, it's probably one of the harder ones to win, so... 
bar your obvious ones, your Melbourne Cups, and I think I think the Cox Plate would have to be right up there. Yeah, 100%. I agree with the the Mooney Valleys. I went there a couple of weeks back and um, for a Friday night meet, and it's it's so different, the whole atmosphere there with the short straight. It just feels so much closer to the horses, in my opinion, from a, from a watching point of view, spectator point of view. So, yeah, it's just awesome there. Yeah, it is, especially too when you go to, I'm pretty sure it's the Manicato the night before on the Friday night and then you're back up the Cox Plate day Sunday. It's just a great two days of racing. 100%. Um, are you worried at all about New South Wales going and counter-programming it? They've already done it with the Melbourne Cup and the Big Dance and, of course, Caulfield Cup and Everest. So we see that New South Wales jockeys are now sort of not not getting limited. I won't say that because, of course, great opportunities in New South Wales as well, but uh, they're no longer able to sort of go to those bigger meets and ride in the uh, Caulfield Cup, Melbourne Cup, because they've got those big money races in uh, New South Wales. So are you worried that in the next few years before you get to the point where you're picking up Cox Plate rides, that a uh, big race will be put on Cox Plate Day that you'll have to stay in New South Wales for? Oh, not necessarily. It, it sort of makes sure things keep growing. And I think if it wasn't like that, you know, apprentices like myself, Tyler, Reese, Zach, if you go back and look at the last couple of Saturdays, us for apprentices, I know Tyler and Reese have been going for a while, but you know we're still labelled apprentices. We've been able to pick up rides in them races because because of that reason, you know, in Melbourne and and Sydney, there's big races on each way. So it, it you know, if people want to chase the you know the, the the group status and the the feature races that way, then it leaves a few more doors open here in the big races for you know people like myself to, to get a chance to to win a big race. So. You know, it's obviously a bit tricky. You'd, you'd love to just be able to jump carnival from carnival and not miss out on anything. But, you know, why not got to get to that point firstly? But, yeah, no, I, I quite like the idea because it, it, just, it just gives everyone a, a chance to, you know, where if, if you could, if the carnivals were all set up so all the big guys were going to be at each meeting, well, it would make it a hell of a lot harder to, to get a chance in them races and have a go because... Yeah, you know, all the Sydney boys would fly down to Melbourne for the Melbourne Carnival and, and vice versa, and then all of a sudden, instead of competing with ten of the best, you got pretty well like the, the best in Australia all all in one in one state battling for the same prize. So it, it just gives gives a, another avenue to to get a chance in them big races and, and showcase what you're made of, and that you can handle the pressure and do well under them circumstances. Fair enough. You do make a good point there. We hadn't really looked at it at that point of view before. But um, so you mentioned that Cox Plate is your ultimate goal. Do you think that that would be the point where you think you've made it or have you already come to that point where you thought to yourself, I've made it as a jockey. I am now, you know, one of the one of the jockeys that people can say as a household name. Have you had that point or do you reckon Cox Plate would be that point? What do you think would be that moment? Uh, I think I'm a long way away from that. I don't think I've scratched the surface. It's... um very hard game racing you, you sort of you go through and look at some of the last couple top apprentices and that and, and that slime while they had their claim and and once they sort of come out things have been tricky and to, to establish yourself after so for me to probably say I, i've you know quote unquote made it I'd, I'd have to really firmly establish myself hopefully at the top that, that'd be the point where i'd say oh, i've made it but yeah look it's, it's a very hard game you got to stay at your top for a while and and not only do you have to, to get to the top and stay there, you've got to you've got to beat a very good bunch of jockeys to get there. So there's um 
plenty of water to go under the bridge. I'm taking nothing for granted and, and no, there's, there's a long road ahead and I haven't even scratched the surface yet. So, yeah, now we're a long way away from that point, but that'll just make sure I have to keep working hard. Fair enough. We've got one more just about racing and then I think we've got two or three just about off track and we just want to know a bit about you. Um, but how hard is it to maintain weight throughout the season? Are you tracking everything you eat, like all your exercise, or have you found a routine that seems to work and you don't really need to watch it as closely? Yeah, well, because you, you obviously ride so much, you you never you're never not too far away from knowing what what weight you are, and when you weigh yourself so much, you sort of start to learn how your body reacts to certain foods and what you got to give it to be a certain certain weight. And I'm pretty fortunate; I've got a very fast metabolism, so I've had no weight issues yet. And at the moment, it doesn't look like that'll even be a problem in time, and I've been able to ride 54 without having to waste for my whole career which you know is the minimum and I'm happy there and been able to take rides at 53 so look I'm in I'm in a spot where I don't have to stress about it too much but I also know what you know what my body needs and what what's how it's going to react to certain things so when I do need to ride lighter and if I've been going out a bit too much and <laughs> going to the pub for dinner instead of cooking at home I, I know where it where it can be and what I need to eat and drink to to get it to where it's comfortable but yeah, I'm just in a, in a good eating routine and, and just sort of keep my body, yeah, you know, keep it sound that way and can keep tabs on it easy. Fair enough, mate. Well, like we said, we move into the off-track stuff now. We've gotten to talk to Dylan Gibbons, the jockey. So with this show, we're going to be interviewing a few people and we want to make sure we can also get to know Dylan Gibbons, the person. So first off, you mentioned about going out to the pub. Uh, first off, what would be your go-to pub meal? Um, it's, it's pretty basic, but it just has to be chicken schnitzel with chips and Standard Diane sauce. Double gravy. Yeah, no, nah, Diane, I, I'm a Diane man, so yeah, I keep it pretty simple that way, but how do you knock it? How do you go past it? 100%. Yeah, no, that's, that's my standard as well. I think it's a Nick's staple a, food. Nick's a Palmer man, I think. Yeah, I'm a Palmer man. Doesn't matter though. I'll drink, I'll eat anything. Any schnitzel, any chicken, just put it in front of me. I feel like I'm, enough. Oh, I'm a Palmer man too, but... The go-to is just a snitzel with Diane. Yeah, 100%. Um, what consists a day off for you, Dill? Um, any other sports you're into? Any other hobbies? or what? What can I know you said you work six days a week, but um, what other? is there any other sports you, you tune into or into any golf or anything, anything like that? Yeah, yeah, love love my golf. I've been really getting into golf the last bit. It's, uh, it's the best thing I find to do to get away from races because it's just four hours. You're out on the course. You got nothing else to worry about. I, yeah, absolutely love my golf. I've got a couple of good mates who love it too. So, a rare occasion I do get a day off. I, I normally spend my days off playing golf. And if I'm not playing golf, I'm probably sitting at home watching the NFL when, when the season's on. Yeah, fair enough. So, do you have a handicap for golf, or are you just a, just a bit of a social player? Yeah, I. I not far off getting one, but so far I've only been soaked. I've only just started getting serious about it, but oh, I don't know if I have the balls to try and get it. That's that's like us. We're we're pretty social players, but I, I've been really getting into to my golf, and it's, it's real good fun. You just out there and get tune out for a couple of hours and just play, and it's good fun, eh? Nick's a lot better than I am. He's uh, he's gonna get a handicap soon. He's hitting, you know. 10 over, 15 over, whereas I'm hacking it and I'm hitting about 50 over. It's pretty embarrassing, but it's a good day out. 
It's all right. It's, it's almost a therapy session. You're just hitting, hitting <laughs> golf balls on the side. That's it. That's it. Um, obviously, being a 21-year-old, I can't help but ask this. Do you go out on a Saturday after after racing? Do you go out any clubbing going on from you, or is it just the standard pub pub meals, pub feed, and yeah? <laughs> I um yeah, I'm 21, but I'm going on 40 some days. Obviously, <laughs> all, all I want to do is get home, go to sleep. So most I might do is head out for dinner, but yeah, I don't have the energy to, to ah, do that. So that's the sacrifice you got to make. Being a jockey, you, you sort of give up that but yeah I, I just prefer getting a nice night's sleep and <laughs> and doing something on the Sunday I, I by the end of the week I'm, my body's clocking off at 8, 9 o'clock so just a nice sleep in will do me instead Fair enough <laughs> Well I mean say you have a big day at the races say you have 3-4 winners it's a Saturday you're right on the high are there any hot spots around Randwick Rose Hill any of the tracks that you know I'm going to go straight there for a feed like you said you don't go to a club but any other hot spots that you that you go to after a big day? Oh, I normally sort of just because by the time you've done the races and obviously a lot of people leaving, I just I prefer to get out of there and I, I come back home and sort of just find a few local spots near home. But there's a new little spot I found um, out Morissette, Wyong Way called Trinity Eight. It's probably one of my favourite restaurants I've ever been to. So if I have a good day, I might book there the next day and and head there as a celebration. Fair enough. Treat yourself. Yeah, shout out to them. Might have to check it out next time we're up in the uh, Newcastle area. Yeah, for sure. Um, being from Newcastle, are you a Knights boy? Do you get around the NRL or not? Nah? Uh, I should be a Knights boy, but I've taken after Dad and he's a, he's a Camilla Sharks man, so I just am a Shark man Interesting. for a Knights boy. Interesting. I'm a, I'm a manly <laughs> man. I'm a, I'm a manly boy. Love my manly. But, um, yeah, I was surprised about that. Cronulla, wow, okay. Yeah, I'm sure everyone yeah. in everyone in Newcastle wouldn't be too happy about that. Yeah, that's why it's why it's only brought up as blokes like you are. <laughs> <laughs> were, were you happy with the way they uh, crashed out of the finals this year? Oh yeah, we waited so long for them to to go well, and anyway, it, we've we've become accustomed to it. <laughs> <laughs> fair oh, enough. fair enough. Hopefully, 2023 is the year of the shark. Surely, surely. Um, so. Thanks for joining us today. We'll wrap it up. One final question. What's next for Dill Gibbons? So where do you see your career taking you within the next few years? Is it overseas? Is it staying within New South Wales? Is it getting more Group 1 rides? In the next few years, where do you see your career taking you? Yeah, probably in the next few years, the main focus is going to be obviously finishing off my apprenticeship and trying to make the most out of that. And then sort of the next the next big step you've got to take is to, to try and earn your spot in town so if all things going well and, and go where I want them to that that'll happen and then sort of if you know once you're at the top you seem to get a, a few opportunities so if I'm fortunate enough to, to work my way there and international opportunities do come along you know I wouldn't shy away from them they they can do a few of the boys who have been overseas it's the coolest story in the world here and talk about their experiences overseas and and riding over there it's yeah it'd be pretty cool to create a bit of a bucket list of where I want to ride overseas and try and tick off as many of them as I could. What would be number one on that bucket list? I think riding the Royal Ascot, I reckon that'd be, be unreal. It, it looks amazing, that track and the ups and downs of it and, and just, just how big that carnival is to be able to ride the Ascot over the carnival. That'd probably be number one on, on the list. 
Fair enough, fair enough. I'm heading over there next year and um, I'm going to definitely stop by there and have a look at the Royal Ascot. I reckon it looks amazing. Yeah, beautiful. I could picture you in a hat and tail as well, Dill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't know if I'd pull it off, but I'd be wearing it if I Oh, well. Well, thanks for joining us today, mate. We really appreciate it. First ever guest we've ever had on the podcast. First of many, hopefully, and we'd love to get you on again sometime. Yep, anytime, boys, anytime. Thanks, Dill. Really appreciate it, mate. No worries. See you later. See you later. See you, mate.